This is the Him Publications Podcast. I'm Chad Harrington. Today we're telling the story of Awake in Nashville. It's a story I've been wanting to share for a while now. A little backstory is that I had the opportunity to work with the founder and leader of Awake in Nashville, Dave Clayton, on the books he wrote to equip Awake in Nashville the last few years. The books are Revival Starts Here and Jesus Next Door, which are two Him Publications books. And these books resourced tens of thousands of people who prayed and fasted for revival in Nashville and beyond. I wanted to share this story with you so that you could catch the vision for what God might want to do in your city. So I sat down with Dave to reflect on the past few years and how Awaken Nashville has impacted nearly 100,000 people. Today you'll hear from Dave the story of how all this happened from the beginning. Over the last two years, God has done some amazing things as literally over 400 churches in Nashville joined together in 2019 to pray and fast for our city for 30 days in a row. Then in 2020, over 700 churches did it again, praying for their neighbors and for those that they know who live, work, and play around them. In this episode, you'll hear how it all began, and you'll hear Dave's single greatest challenge as a leader, how God has changed churches in Nashville, Tennessee, and what God did in one man's life in particular that changed the trajectory of his family. As you listen, if you want more information about how to get copies of the prayer and fasting books, which Dave talks about and which he wrote, that equipped the Awaken Nashville prayer and fasting movement, go to himpublications.com awaken. That's himpublications.com awaken. By the way, we offer bulk pricing discounts for members to help churches and organizations with the very same resources that we used with Awaken Nashville. You can also click on the link in the show notes of this podcast for direct access to those resources. Okay, let's get started. My name is Dave Clayton, and my wife Sydney and I, we live in Nashville, Tennessee with our three boys, Micah, Jack, and Judah. And we give leadership to kind of three different areas, um, Ethos Church, a church we planted in downtown Nashville, Awaken Nashville, which is a citywide, and it's really beyond that now, but a citywide movement of churches that are committed to prayer and fasting together, and then onward to church planting, which is our global family of leaders um, committed to disciple-making and church planting. What motivates you to share the story? I get excited because I think sometimes when you share a story of what God's done, I think there's probably some people that are sitting out there that they've actually had the same burden from the Lord. And maybe you feel crazy because you feel like you're the only one. And so I think sometimes sharing a story like this makes you go, oh, like maybe God is saying something, maybe I can step into it. Because I think sometimes when you, when you hear somebody else's story, it, it maybe gives you some perspective on on what that would look like in your context. And so for some people, it may just be a practical uh, unlocking that happens. And then, you know, of course, the main thing is just, I think when you when God does something great, you, you testify about it. You testify to who He is, to what He's done. Right. And, and so the thing that I'm most excited about is just, man, this is what God's been doing. And even if nobody listening to this, you know, tries to do this or tries to lead it, um, taking a moment to just kind of brag on what God's done is a significant enough reason to tell the story. So let's go back to the beginning. What was the moment that you knew you had to start awake in Nashville? Yeah, you know, so a little bit of backstory. Our family had been in, we'd spent some time in Kenya, and you and I have talked about this moment a lot. In fact, we uh, we talk about it in, in the book that we did together, but we'd spent some time in Kenya, and when we were in Kenya, we were blown away by just the spiritual um, vitality of the leaders that we were with, with the churches that we were spending time with. And 
And we're, my wife, Sydney and I, we're pragmatists. We're like, what is going on here? How did, how did this group of people become so passionate and hungry about God? And I remember one day in particular, we were riding in the car with um, one of the people that had invited us to come, come over for this season and spend some time with them. And we were just grilling her with questions. Hey, tell us, you know, and, and she said, hey, so much of what you see happening right here uh, was birthed in the place of prayer and fasting. She said, this is a, a huge part of who we are. And, you know, it's, it's become a real key in helping people, you know, walk in the, walk in the ways of Jesus, um, hear his voice, walk in obedience to who he is. And what we didn't realize is we'd gotten in, when we had arrived in Kenya, we had landed on the last day of a 30 day season of prayer and fasting. And we were just so inspired by that. And, you know, over the next year, God was stirring us in regards to the role that prayer and fasting plays in revival, that prayer and fasting plays in disciple making. And so um, we started inviting our church into that. And for the last several years, kind of leading up to Awaken, our church started tithing our year in prayer and fasting. And so, you know, we'd take the month of February for 30 days, we'd pray and fast. We'd take 21 days in September. We'd take the first Wednesday of every month to, to pray and fast together as a church and really believing that God would move in it. And so about two or three years into that journey, you know, a couple of years since we've been back from Kenya, a couple of years into praying and fasting as a church, one morning, right in the middle of one of our, our, one of our month-long seasons of prayer and fasting, I was praying for my boys, and and I just really felt this impression from the Holy Spirit, where this question just kept running through my heart as I was praying, where the Spirit was just prompting me to think about what would happen if one of my kids went missing. And uh, I was praying for my youngest son, Judah, at that moment. He's three years old at the time, and, and I said, Lord, you know, I mean, I would spend the rest of my life looking for him. And I just felt the Lord say, well, Dave, your city's filled with my missing kids, and for the most part, the church has quit looking. I want you to wake up the search and rescue teams. And uh, I was like, whoa. And so over the course of the next several days, that was kind of, you said, what was the moment? That was a moment where something, that's February 2018. And that something just went off in my heart that was kind of indescribable. And over the next couple of weeks, uh, as we kept praying into that, we felt like the Lord was saying, hey, raise up an intercessor, uh, somebody who will commit to praying for every single person in the city of Nashville by name. and Small task. Small task, you know, 1.8 million people in the surrounding area or whatever. And, and, uh, but it was just clear as day, and it was, it was pretty overwhelming. And, but we felt like God had asked us to do it, that um, our job wasn't to manage the outcomes. Um, it was just to walk in obedience. And so in September of 2018, we came to our, our team and said, hey, here's what we feel called to do. We think we're supposed to invite the city into this season of prayer and fasting. And so we said, hey, let's say yes to it before we have it figured out. Because um, we knew if we tried to stop and figure it out, we'd talk ourselves out of it. So we just kind of said, hey, yes, we'll do this, even if we're the only church that's a part of it. And I remember at one point sitting down to do the math. I'm like, man, this takes like 10 years of just our <laughs> church does this. But, but uh, man, God really moved in that. So that was that was the birth of it. Um, that led us into what so many people have been a part of over the last two years. And then January, we had 20,000 books. Yeah. And over 400 churches. Yeah. So that first year, which is so crazy because, you know, starting in September, uh, we just, I started holding a lunch, you know, a couple days a week, and I just invite people over and I'd share the vision hey, we're going to pray and fast for 30 days. 
I'm going to pray over every person in the city. Do you want in? And at first, churches were like, wow, that's inspiring. And then it was like, good luck, buddy. That's not going to work. And so I think we got to the end of October, and we had, I think, eight churches that had agreed to do it. So two, two months of effort yielded eight or nine churches. And then in November, a few more, and then it started just snowballing. And we got to the second week of January, and we were well over 400 churches and it's like, wow, what what has happened? And we just, I think we realized in that moment, you know, God was, he had gone before us in every way. And he was bringing together pieces that were just so beyond our, our capabilities. So we felt God had called us to rally the churches in the city, to pray and fast for every person in the city by name. That was the core of the calling, that simple. Can we pray and fast on behalf of every person in the city? And everything we did was built off of that simple reality. How do we pray for these 1.8 million people in the area, which is a lot of people, you know? And, and so the first year, um, that took shape by us calling churches together. And from the last week of January to the last week of February for 30 straight days, we had this season where we invited people to fast for 30 days. You know, some people did a sign-up to sundown fast. Some people fasted from lunch every day. Some people did full fast. Um, some people did um, like a soul fast, you know. But we asked people to fast for 30 days. And specifically that first year, we gave every person a list of 15 households to pray for. Um, and so we essentially broke up the phone book, you know, and we, we prayed for every person uh, by name. Um, you know, across those 30 days. And at the end of it, we, we sent out a handwritten note um, to every person in the city. So, Chad, you were part of it that first year. You got your prayer packet. You opened it up. It had a prayer and fasting booklet. It had a 30-day uh, prayer guide. It had 15 blank postcards and had a list of names. And so we just invited people um, to join us in that journey. And we kicked that season off with a, with a night of prayer and worship um, where we called the leaders together uh, at the historic uh, Ryman Auditorium in downtown Nashville, and then we wrapped that celebration up with a leader celebration where we just testified to what God did. So that happened in 2019, 400-something churches came together, and honestly, we really thought that was it. We thought, okay, I don't know if we'll do that again. Um, we felt like we had we had done what God had asked us to do, but once again, we came through the summer into early fall, and we just really sensed God saying, hey, uh, you know, I want you to, to rally the troops again to pray and fast, but this time not for strangers, this time for their neighbors. And so, you know, we really sensed God was inviting us to move from our knees in prayer to our feet in action. And so we started rallying the, the churches again. And uh, this time they responded uh, even more significantly than we could have imagined, over 700 churches the second go-round. Not just in the city of Nashville, we had 11 different cities across the state of Tennessee joined us. Um, pockets of people all across the country um, doing this as well. And uh, we once again, we kicked off with a celebration um, of, of praying for our city. And then we released people for 30 straight days. And what we challenged people to do the second year was identify 8 to 10 people that live next door to you, that you work with, that are around you. And we want you to specifically pray for them and then bless them in the name of Jesus. And man, it's just incredible to see what God did. And so um, that happened, that's, that's the 2019 to 2020 story, and, you know, um, it's pretty interesting because two weeks after the fast ended, COVID hit Nashville, and all of a sudden people were kind of locked down in their neighborhoods with these people that they'd been praying for, 
And so, you know, in Nashville, we've watched it kind of spill out that way. But this reality of Awaken has started taking root all over all over the world. Um, and so we've, we've seen churches and communities and college campuses and people say, hey, we want to do that too. And so we've been helping people do it as well. Was it like, because this has happened to me in certain seasons of my life more than others, where it's like the things you need, you just turn the corner and it's like, there it is. Yeah. Was it like that during that season for you? Yeah, absolutely. But what I would say is you turn the corner and you weren't sure it was going to be there even though it was there. And so you felt this crazy weight of how's this going to work out? How are we going to pull this thing off? Yeah. You know, are, are we just setting ourselves up for just a colossal embarrassment? I mean, that's, that's what we felt. I mean, because I think sometimes when people hear about what had happened in the city, they went, Oh, okay. So I guess you had a network already and you just tapped into that network and you guys had done things like this before. And, and the reality was no, I mean, uh, you know, most people, had no clue who we were or, and not that that matters, but what I'm trying to say is we weren't the kind of people that when we would call you, you would answer the phone. And, and so, you know, it was just a lot of cold calling and showing up at people's, you know, churches and, and so it's just kind of crazy, you know, and, and that was every step of the way of, Hey, is anybody going to do this? Um, how's this going to go? Is it going to work? And we've just been blown away. And at the end of the day, we go, Hey, we're doing this for the Lord. And so if nobody else comes, if nobody else, it's like, we're doing it for you, God. And so, and, um, that really takes a lot of pressure off. What caused people to say yes? Yeah, that's a great, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, you know, it's like, Hey, Americans, come on, let's yeah. not eat for a month. You know, I, I think it was clear that God was just, he was at work there. Um, and so that's the spiritual side of it. I think God had been tilling that soil I think there were other things that had been going on in the city that we were totally unaware of, you know, where people were hungry to see God move. Um, they were hungry to work together. Once again, that wasn't strategic on our part. God was ahead of us. That was going on. Um, you know, and then I think another piece of it is when we came to people, we didn't just come to them with a vision. We came to them with a plan. And I think that's really important. You know, I think vision inspires, but plans produce confidence. And I think that's sometimes a missing component you know, when, when people, when people go, man, God's called me to do something. And I go, man, that's awesome. Now, if you have a vision, it means you're seeing something that other people aren't seeing. And I think in order to help them see it, you have to give them a plan. And, you know, I just think about that moment. Um, Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in the Bible where, you know, it was clear that the dude didn't just have a vision from God about the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem, but he had a plan, you know, and he invited people into that plan. And so, I think that was part of the reason, you know, God was stirring things. Um, people were already hungry for it because of some of the things that have been going on in the city. Then when we shared the vision, we shared that vision hand in hand with the plan and said, um, hey, here's how we're going to do this. And I think it gave people the ability to then go back and, and actually mobilize um, their folks with a bit of confidence. Right. And I think that one of the things that, you know, really helped people say yes to was how simple it was. Mm -hmm. You weren't saying, hey, we're going to commit to the next 10 years of fasting together every year. It's like, hey, we're doing this this year. Mm -hmm. Do you want to join us? And back to that point that you made, which I think is really helpful um, about making plans and pairing that with vision to instill confidence. I think it has to do with our view of God in some ways. I think a lot of people, when we talk about prayer, fasting, and revival, we get into the realm of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then your view of the Holy Spirit, which may be 
underdeveloped, maybe overdeveloped, and maybe there's not, you know, you've mixed some things in there because I think there's just so many different thoughts about how the Spirit works. But one of the greatest misconceptions that I've seen in the church is people don't believe that the Holy Spirit orders things. Mm -hmm. But what I've witnessed in my own experience, but also in, in revival in Nashville over the last two years. And again, I say revival, I, I, I feel like we're just in the early days of say, what could be revival. Right, yeah. We are praying for revival. Yeah. But the unity of bringing people together, the plan element of that, I think comes from the Holy Spirit too. It's not just the prayers we've prayed or the spontaneous moments. But when you look at Genesis 1, it says the Spirit hovered over the waters of the deep. And then, you know, the, the Godhead created the world, but in an orderly way. On day one, this. On day two, mm -hmm. that. And then we get to 1 Corinthians, and Paul says, and God is a God of order, mm -hmm. not disorder. And he, he says that in a conversation about the spiritual gifts, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's such a huge element is, is really even our view of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and you know, just to even tag on to what you're just saying, I think you see this reality all through Scripture, is that spirit and structure work together. And so, you know, back to the creation story, you know, God forms Adam and Eve. That's a moment of structure. He, and then he fills them with the spirit. Mm -hmm. Think about what happens in the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. He forms the body, puts the pieces together, and then the spirit comes. Yeah, breathes life yeah, back into yeah, them. Yeah, you, you think about what happens, you know, in the book of Acts, you know, where on the day of Pentecost, the... The people have come together really in this structured moment on the day of Pentecost. And then the Spirit of God um, descends. And so I think there's something to this. I think we can we can outstructure our way out of obedience That's to right. the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So I think we have to be careful. Um, but I think we can also go to the other extreme where we think, well, the work of the Spirit is the absence of structure or is the absence of plans. And I go, I just don't, I don't see that. Um, and we could we could go off all day on that, but yeah, we we found those two things to be very helpful in helping people not just say yes with their hearts, because we knew for us um, we could get leaders in a room and a leader could agree with everything we're saying, affirm everything we're talking about, and still not go back and mobilize their people. And we said, how do we how do we make sure that doesn't happen? How do we make sure the person that feels hungry? that affirms what we're talking about when we talk about this need for revival, this need for God to move. How do we make sure they don't just affirm it or agree with it, but they go home and take action? And so for us, that's where the plan and vision had to go hand in hand. Well, and I think it's so important when we're talking about organizing a massive amount of people or even just your church for crying out loud. Yeah. It's like, how do you get any number of people besides <laughs> one to do something together? And that sort of plays into the discussion about resources. Yeah. You know, why do we have books that sort of equip and even fuel churches? You know, we've got Revival Starts Here, which is about prayer and fasting. Jesus Next Door is a 30-day prayer guide for the actual days of prayer and fasting. And the Love Your Neighbor Journal helps you think about action to take. You know, the reason that we've created these resources together, two out of those three that we've done together, is because we know ourselves and we need help. Mm-hmm. And really, I bet you probably wrote that book in part to remind yourself of, oh, these are the kinds of fasts. And, yeah. And it helps guide yourself in a sense. But then it primarily you wrote these things for your church, your actual church, not Awake in Nashville. You were thinking primarily about Ethos Church. Yeah. Well, you know, we learned this the hard way. So the first year we came back from Kenya and we said, hey, we're going to become a church that prays and fasts. And people were hungry for that. They were excited. You know, we came back, we cast vision, we shared stories. 
Um, and then we jumped into it, and man, it was brutally hard on our church because honestly, um, we inspired them, but we didn't resource them. And so what happened is people wanted to take a step, but they took the step and felt really ill-equipped. And that was just a poor leadership move on our part, you know, on my part. And and we just learned that the hard way. And so, you know, we realized um, the desire to meet God in this way is probably not sig- sufficient enough for actually meeting God this way. Like, you need you need some level of discipleship, you know. And so we started thinking, okay, how do we disciple our people in this way? And, and so, uh, you know, in our context, we said, how do we create something so simple that no matter where a person is on their spiritual journey, they can take their next step and join us in this prayer and fasting thing that brings them into the larger thing of what's happening in our church. And so we started creating these prayer packets where, you know, when we had started a fast, we'd literally just set a prayer packet on their seat. You know, so they come in, you can't miss it. They'd open up the prayer packet, there'd be a There'd be a you know a fold out thing that says start here. Step one. (laughs) And literally, I mean, it's just how do we we try to write write the instructions for for a fourth grader? You know, how can you participate? When is this happening? What are we going to do? What does it mean? And then we started creating resources to go in that packet that helped people. You know, um, what is prayer and fasting theologically, practically? You know, um, how do we do this? And then. You know, the prayer guide, Jesus Next Door, we created that so that way each morning our church could wake up wherever they were, across their homes, all across the city, and we could read the same scripture, we could read a devotional, we could pray into the same points together. And it was just a really simple way of keeping us aligned. And I think you and I even had this conversation when we were first creating the resources, because in the current moment we're living in, everyone's first question is, why are you printing up stuff? Like, why don't you just do digital, (laughs) you know, and... Which is way cheaper, you know, but I think what we found is in a world where people are so distracted and so bogged down, we actually wanted to go the opposite direction and say, hey, let's get off your phones for a minute. Let's get away from your screens for just a minute. Let's get your head in a different space. And so we said, let's go old school. Let's let's do books and prayer journals and, you know, two years in and, you know, helping almost you know, almost 100,000 people go down this journey in some capacity. Um, everyone we've talked to, the physicality of it has played a really important part. So I'm really curious about this. I haven't asked you this because I've heard a ton of stories from other people. But if we were to talk about the fruit of what you've seen God do in the last couple of years, from your perspective, what story would you tell? Man, <laughs> you know, the, there's so many stories that we could talk about. I'll give you two. You know, one would just be on a kind of a large citywide level. Um, it has been amazing to see the way that God has used this to, to, to really bring churches together in what I would say is a genuine place of love and unity. And so churches have come together not programmatically, um, but leaders have begun building really genuine friendships with each other. That's um, has been marked by the love of Jesus. And that's been that's been crazy. It's been especially palpable in a year like this where our city got hit by tornadoes and all of a sudden, you know, that happened just a month after, you know, we'd finished up the season of prayer and fasting. The tornadoes hit and all of a sudden all of these churches are jumping in together. Um, they just got done praying together for a month and now they're serving together and they're working together. They're meeting needs together. Leaders are caring for each other. So I think the unity 
the humility that I've seen just permeating the larger body of Christ in the city, that's been one of the, the most palpable things for me. Jesus says in our unity, Jesus's mission has, Jesus's identity has validity. You know, John 17, he said, the world will know that, that I was sent because of the way you love each other, that, that there's something about our togetherness that points to the to the validity of his identity in the eyes of the world, which is just really amazing to me. You know, so it's been amazing to see that on the, the kind of citywide level. And then I think on the personal level, the number of stories that we've heard and that we even experienced where, where God connected all of the dots in a person's life so that they could come to trust and follow Jesus for the first time. And so think about the, the, this one guy in particular who, you know, he shows up at a church one afternoon about halfway through the fast, and he shows up at this church and uh, knocks on the door and basically says, I need somebody to help me get my life right with God. And the guy that answers the door is, you know, he, he just works at the church office, and their church is a part of this season of prayer and fasting, but he was still totally caught off guard you know, by, by this knock on the door from a stranger. And so he sits down and just opens up the book of Mark and they start reading through the gospel of Mark together. I think they get one or two chapters in and the guy says, man, I've got to get right with Jesus. I need to get baptized. I need to be (laughs) forgiven of my sins. And so they go and they baptize him right there. I mean, just this crazy story. Well, that's a Wednesday afternoon, a few days later, that following Sunday, this family shows up at this same church, just a random family. They show up and they said, hey, we need to, to find the person that baptized so-and-so. And so, you know, they're, they're trying to find this. Oh, that was this guy here. And so they connect the dots, uh, you know, and uh, they, they say, hey, we, we want to tell you, you know, you baptized our dad on Wednesday. And on Friday of this week, he died. And the guy was stunned and they were stunned and he wasn't sick that they knew of. They weren't expecting this, you know, and, and my friend who is, who is the guy that had baptized this guy, he said all of a sudden he was just scared. He's like, Oh no, are they going to be mad? Are they going to blame me? You know, he was just so caught off guard. And they said, you know, we've all just been living out of God's favor. We've got to get right with God. And the whole family comes to Jesus. And so then, then this minister, he calls me and tells me this story about the the crazy reality that been going on, and he said, I, "He said, can we find the person in the city that's been praying for this guy?" And so when we handed out the prayer packets, you know, we we numbered them so we knew which churches had which prayer packets and all this stuff. That's a, another detail for another day. But um, we go and we look up which church had that prayer packet, and so I had the I had the joy of like getting to speak with that church. And tell that story. And the woman who had him came and found me after the service. Oh, my goodness. And she's weeping. And she just begins to tell me the story about how um, their family had been in disarray in that season. They were remodeling a house. And they were in between all these things. You know, didn't have a kitchen. Didn't have a working bathroom. And But every morning she would commit to wake up before her kids got up. And she'd pray over her list of names. And it's just one of those moments where God was connecting these dots where... You know, God was honoring that woman's faithfulness in the quiet places. God was working in this guy's life that was at the end of his journey. He didn't yet know it. God was working in his family. God was working through this minister who had called his church to pray and fast. And had no, And all of these things came together. And 
you know, I know that's kind of like a crazy over-the-top story, but we have so many stories like that where where God connected dots and uh, in a person's life, and it was just kind of his way of saying, hey, I see you. That's incredible, man. And it's not like anyone orchestrated that. We're oh, just yeah. watching it, you know? Yeah. So as you think about what has happened, what God's done over the last few years, as you've moved from making it just an ethos church thing in Nashville to just inviting other people along. And now we've had hundreds of churches join. I want to ask this, what's been the greatest challenge that stood in your way personally in your own walk through this? Yeah. You know, I think just the challenge of, of unbelief. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, I think there's moments where, when we look back on our lives, we go, man, God was inviting us to something. And there's times I've said yes to that, and there's times I've said no to that. And, you know, almost every time I've said no, it was rooted in a place of unbelief. And it was like, man, could God really do that? Will God really do that? Is God really inviting me to that? And so I think for me, I think one of the biggest challenges is just been in that place of, um, of unbelief, you know, when we first felt that invitation from God, it was like, God, like, would you really invite someone like us to do this? Like, why don't, why didn't you ask somebody better? Older. uh, Older, smarter, more networked, more influence, more resourced, more anything. More beautiful. More beautiful. I've got a radio (laughs) face, you know, it's like, um, it's like, what, why us? And just that place of unbelief, you know, sometimes around our own calling, sometimes the place of unbelief just around, you know, like, are the waters really going to part? You know, because when you're when you're trying to pull a city together, there's a, a, a group of churches across a city, and now, you know, it's gone beyond Nashville into multiple cities and multiple states and now in multiple nations. And when all of that happens, you know, there's there's always that part of you that goes, like, is this really going to happen? Will, will the waters part, metaphorically speaking, you know, will... Will the resourcing come? Will the people say yes? Will the, and so I, I think just that that constant challenge of okay, um, God, are you good to your word on this? And did I really hear from you? Did I really hear from you? And and I think for me, you know, there's always that crossing over moment where we went, okay, we've really heard. Now what do we do with what we've heard? And and I think that's where all the real challenge came. How did you overcome that? You know. What did that look like for you? Yeah, you, you know, so, I mean, just some real practical examples. Uh, one, I think I think um, obedience is the, the gateway for breaking through unbelief. And so... I'm going to think about that for a, a while. And so, you know, obedience is the thing that begins to part, you know, the, the sea through unbelief. It's that and first step into a, the Jordan River. It's that first step. And so, you know, what we've found over the last two years is there's been thousands of those steps. And a lot of times the next one feels greater than the last one. Um, but that's been the key for us. And so, you know, an example, you know, we started calling churches together. Hey, will you do this? That was a step of, be- like, a step of obedience. Even in my unbelief of going, I don't know if anybody's going to come. We sent out this email to 100 churches. Will anybody come? is a step of belief, you know. And then people started saying yes, and, you know, we said, hey, we're going to help you do this. 
And we're like, wait, how are we going to do this? <laughs> and we thought, oh, we've got to write some resources. You know, we've got to put some things together. And I remember calling you and I'm like, hey, when, when do we need to have this done? And you're like, six months ago. I'm like, ah, you know. And But even, even that whole process of, I remember sitting down and just looking at my blank computer screen and, you know, that blinking cursor. And it's like, okay, God, you've, you've asked me to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start doing this. Or with resources or with what, I mean, I could tell you literally hundreds of stories about a moment where we just, we took a step because we knew God had asked us to do it. But even as we were taking that step, there was that thing in me that was going, is this going to work? Is, is this really going to happen? Right. And as Awake in Nashville as a team, you know, and it was a small team, what has been the greatest challenge? I guess you could even say organizationally, because I think that's really helpful to even know as one of the major point leaders for this, I guess in one sense, you were the main point leader. Your challenge was unbelief and overcoming that through obedience, which is such a good word, man, because Christ didn't call us to figure it all out in our heads and then obey. He just says, come follow me. Yeah, I love that. But as an organization, what challenge did you run up against that was just so massive that it's like, I don't know how we're going to do this? Yeah, you know, the first one was we didn't have an organization. You know, we didn't have it. I mean, which sounds a little bit funny, but it was true. You know, when when we felt God inviting us into this, you know, as my wife and I, and we knew that we could not put this burden on our church staff because it would it would kill our staff. It would kill our team. They already had lots of ministry areas going on. We'd have to shut everything else down just to do this. And so, you know, we didn't know how are we going to pull this thing off. And what most people don't realize the first year when we mobilized 400 people or 400 churches uh, to, to do this, you know, tens of thousands of people, um, you know, it was, we had one person that was paid part-time and we had three volunteers and that was our team. (laughs) And, And so our organizational challenge was, we don't have an organization. We don't, um, but what we did have was we had a band of brothers and sisters that believed God had called us to something. And, you know, and so the next year as Awaken grew even larger and everybody's like, I remember running into a, a lady at our church. She said, she said, this year I hear, I hear you have more of a team and that's awesome. And I kind of laughed because we did have more of a team the second year. The second year we had a, a paid person we had a part-time person, and we had three volunteers. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges of going, we don't have the manpower, we don't have the hours, we don't have the money, we don't have the... So we had a whole lot of excuses to either try to make God's vision fit our capabilities or ask God, hey, would you allow your vision to expand our capabilities, to expand? And those are two totally different realities. And so I think we fought that at every turn. You know, we'd we'd show up on a Monday during that whole season, and we'd write out our to do list. And I mean, it would it would. I remember one one week in particular as we were getting closer to the launch of the fast, our to do list was seven pages long, single space. And that's when we had a part time person and a couple of volunteers, and we're going, "How are we doing this, guys?" And just trusting God in, in the midst of that insanity. That is insane. You know, when we came to the end of Awaken Nashville twenty twenty. You got the people who were, you know, volunteer leaders, I think the one or two staff people, and we all got together for a meal. 
and just like celebrated. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the end of it, you said, you know, we did it this year. Praise God. And we don't know, you know, if we'll do it again. We just don't know. We might, we might, we don't know what it'll look like in the future. And I love that kind of humility that says, we're just going to take it one day at a time, one year at a time with this kind of thing. Then the pandemic hits and no one knows what anything <laughs> is going to be like. Yeah. And so I'm really curious, Dave, where are you at now? What are you thinking about revival and the months and the years to come? Because if I were to, to look at 2020 on the history books and say, you know, what was this year? I think we would all say, we have no idea. It was the weirdest year that we can remember. And there's so much cultural shifting going on right now. There's so much at stake, it feels like. And there's so many vulnerabilities, health-wise, economically, spiritually, people aren't going to church buildings. There's just so much at stake right now. What are you thinking is happening next? You know, the most honest answer is I have no idea. I have no idea. But I am more confident than ever that God's in all of this. He's at work. I have several really deep-seated beliefs that I have felt coming out in fresh ways in this season. So one of those beliefs is that God has a knack for working in the unexpected places, that he does his best work in the the realm of uncertainty, um, maybe his best work in us. Yeah, when, when we're uncertain. When we're in a place of uncertainty. He's not the one, just to clarify, <laughs> before you send Chad any nasty emails. Um, he does his best work when we find ourselves in a place of uncertainty. You know, so that's been coming up in this season. And I think another one is that um, as God's people, we should live with an expectation that when the time is right, he will let us in on what he's doing. And I don't say that with with any posture of arrogance. I mean, you just see that over and over in the scriptures. You know, um, uh, you know, I think about the passage in Amos chapter 3 where, where God says, you know, the Lord does not do anything without letting his servants, the prophets, in on what he's doing. You know, that 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 when the timing's right, God lets his people in on it. Or even the words of Jesus, you know, in John 16, where he looks at his disciples and he says, I have so much more to tell you. He says, but we don't have time for that. He says, but when the Spirit of God comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to continue to reveal to you. He's going to take things from the Father and make them known to you. And and so in this season I have lived, I think it feels like a tension at times, but I live in this place of, hey, God's in this. I'm uncertain about what, what he's doing and where he's at, but I expect that when the time's right, he's going to let us in on it. And until then, we're just going to keep walking faithfully. And and so in regards to prayer and fasting, it's like, you know, are we going to call the whole city together and do a huge thing like we did in 2020? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, um, I sense that something different is coming, but I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is we're going to continue to call people into a place of humble um, prayer, uh, fasting on behalf of the city in different ways, and starting with my own family, starting with our church. And so kind of a long answer uh, to a, a short reality is we don't know, but God's in it. We expect He'll show us, and we have a lot of comfort in that. Thanks for sharing that. I wanted to ask one last question. What advice would you give to people who want to catalyze these kinds of things, prayer, fasting, uh, and asking God for revival? Maybe it's just in their church or perhaps in their city or, or their campus. What advice would you give them if you could say, hey, here's one thing that looking at my experience and what I've been able to observe 
this is what I would say to you. You know, I would say this, this all, this is all built off the fact that you feel called to do this. So if you feel called by God to do this, the one piece of advice would be take the next right action, take the next right action and just keep taking the next right action. And maybe that sounds vague, but, um, I, I have found sometimes as I think about the next action, two or three steps down the pike, it can actually distract me from the very next thing that God is inviting me to do. And so for some of you, that next right action is just, you know, declaring out loud before the Lord, I will mobilize the people around me to pray and fast on behalf of our people, our city, our church. That may be your next right action, just a a moment of declaration before the Lord. And then he'll give you the next right action. For some of you, maybe you've already taken that and it's, I need to call the leaders of my church together, or maybe I need to, to call Chad and uh, you know, to find out what are some resources we could use now that people have come together. Or maybe, maybe it's uh, you know, just uh, calling other leaders in the city, whatever it is, just take that next right step. And you know, if there's any way we can help you in that, man, we would love to help you do that. You know, you can find out about what we do at awakennashville.com. You can find Chad at uh, himpublications.com. Yeah. And so it's like you can find both of us there. And um, any way we can help serve you, um, we'd love to do that. Yeah. And one thing that I find is it starts with you. I think anytime we try and lead beyond our own relationship with the Lord, then we're just out on the edge of a branch and it's dangerous. So I think that's one thing that I would just advise people as I've watched leaders, you know, go there with the Lord. A worship leader I know said that they've started worshiping, like they lead the worship, you know, for the whole church. And they said, I've started to worship alone every week. And the things that I want to be true of me publicly, I'm letting be true of me privately first. And how much more important is it with things like prayer and fasting? I mean, those are two of the three things in Matthew 6 that Jesus says, do in secret. And that's sort of the elephant in the room, I think, for a lot of us is, wait, we can talk about this? Isn't that wrong? Um, you know, Jesus was saying your heart needs to be there. It doesn't mean you in every circumstance have to be silent about, you know, when you go without food for spiritual reasons. How else do we know other people do it? <laughs> so it's about the heart. Um, but we do need to remember that what we do in secret is the most important thing. Anything public is just to build the body up. And so, man, I appreciate you spending time with me sharing the story. It's fun to like remember some of these details and hear some new things too. So. Yeah, man, it's such an honor. Thanks for the part you've played in this story. And you've been such a key, you know, key component in helping us take this dream into reality. So thanks, man. Yeah, it's fun to be a part of it. That's it for the Awaken Nashville story featuring Dave Clayton. If you want to learn more about how you can resource your church or your group with the resources we used in these first years of Awaken Nashville, visit himpublications.com awaken to find more information about the books Revival Starts Here, Jesus Next Door, and the Love Your Neighbor Journal. That's himpublications.com awaken, or click on the link in the show notes of this podcast for direct access to these resources. And by the way, you can order in bulk with our membership discounts at himpublications.com awaken. Until next time, I'm Chad Harrington, and this is the Hymn Publications Podcast.